Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Evelyn Lee in for Kevin Hogan today. Let's take a look at our top stories. The Supreme Court tossing out abortion cases, sending them back to states to decide. This while Florida's governor vows to appeal a block on the state's new abortion ban. President Trump and January 6th were the main focus in Wyoming's Republican primary debate on Thursday. Candidates gave their opinions on the 2020 presidential election. The, sus the suspected driver of the truck involved in the Texas human smuggling tragedy was allegedly high on meth. He faces a maximum of life in prison or even the death penalty. A former editor at USA Today reveals that the news outlet demoted him for saying that only women can get pregnant. He's now speaking out against the politicization of today's news industry. In light of Roe v. Wade being overturned, the Supreme Court is tossing out other rulings against abortion laws that were based on Roe. It's sending them back to lower courts to decide. Entity's Jessica Beatty has more. The Supreme Court Thursday threw out three lower court rulings related to abortion. Two of them revoked abortion bans in Arizona and Arkansas. A third case in Indiana involved parental notification of abortions performed on minors, Reuters reported. The three cases will now return to lower courts to be reconsidered. The lower court decisions were based on Roe and a companion president known as Planned Parenthood versus Casey. In 1973, the Roe decision largely made abortions legal nationwide. Before, it was up to states to decide. And the 1992 companion ruling said states can't significantly restrict abortions before an unborn baby can survive outside the womb. Both rulings were overturned last week. Since then, there's been a flurry of judicial activity at the state level, including in Florida. On Thursday, a Florida judge temporarily blocked a new abortion law that would ban the procedure at 15 weeks. Governor Ron DeSantis says he's not surprised by the court's decision and they'll appeal. These are unborn babies that have heartbeat, they can feel pain, they can suck their thumb. And to say that the, the state constitution mandates things like dismemberment abortions, I just don't think that's the proper interpretation. And so, Florida argues the 15-week abortion ban would have little impact. That's because data shows the majority of abortions in Florida occur before 15 weeks. Meanwhile, President Biden Thursday said he'd support changing the Senate filibuster rule to protect abortion access. But Democratic Senator Dick Durbin said it's not practical right now. But the notion of changing the rules is it really at the mercy of one or two senators who can uh, make that decision for us. Uh, this is not the political environment to be looking for that. Although Democrats control the Senate, at least two Democratic senators, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, don't support changing the filibuster rule. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Most people in Wyoming vote Republican, and yesterday Republican primary candidates faced off in a televised debate. The main focus was on two women with rather different opinions and viewpoints, especially when it comes to former President Donald Trump. Congresswoman Liz Cheney is one of only two Republicans on the January 6th committee. She says President Trump lies to people that the 2020 election wasn't stolen. Last year, the state Republican Party censured Cheney and voted to no longer recognize her as a Republican. In Thursday's Republican primary debate in Wyoming, Cheney criticized congressional candidate Harriet Hageman, who was endorsed by Trump. 
Hagman says there were serious concerns about the 2020 election. I'd be interested to know whether or not my opponent, Ms. Hageman, is willing to say here tonight that the election was not stolen. She knows it wasn't stolen. Uh, I think that she can't say that it wasn't stolen because she's completely beholden to Donald Trump. President Trump's claims of a stolen election allegedly fueled the January 6th Capitol breach, which is partly what the January 6th committee is investigating. And what we have is we have a committee in Congress right now that they're focusing on something that happened thir uh, 18 months ago. They're not focusing on the issues that are important to the people in Wyoming. Hageman didn't say the 2020 election was stolen, but she called the use of ballot drop boxes, as described in the recent film 2000 Mules, a great concern. The film alleges that Democratic operatives were paid to illegally collect and drop off ballots. Hageman also says that our republic is not in danger because of President Donald J. Trump. President Trump was an excellent president for the United States of America and especially for the state of Wyoming. But Cheney doesn't agree when it comes to President Trump. According to her, people have been betrayed. Um, he consistently has said that the election was stolen when it wasn't. According to the Associated Press, Cheney has a two-to-one margin over Hageman in fundraising over the first three months of 2022. Also taking part in the debate were a state senator, a retired U.S. Army colonel, and a businesswoman. The debate was closed to the public for security reasons and to prevent people from disrupting the event. Wyoming primary elections are on August 16th. The suspected driver involved in the Texas smuggling attempt that left over 50 dead was allegedly under the influence of methamphetamine. That's according to U.S. lawmaker Henry, Henry Cuellar. On Thursday, 45-year-old suspect Homer Ozamarano Jr. appeared in a federal court in San Antonio where human trafficking charges against him were read. If convicted, Zamorano was told he faces a maximum sentence of life in prison or even the death penalty. According to filed documents, San Antonio police officers on Monday found him hiding in brush near the abandoned cargo trailer. Officials said the vehicle showed no signs of water supplies or working air conditioning. Mexican officials said Zamorano had tried to pass himself off as one of the survivors. On Monday, bodies were found stacked inside the sweltering hot truck as temperatures soared over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Other victims were found in nearby brush. More than 50 migrants lost their lives, making it the deadliest such trafficking incident on record in the United States. Gerardo Olivares was still waiting in Mexico for news on his son, who was one of the passengers. Others in Central America are also waiting to hear and praying that their loved ones are still alive. And Governor Ron DeSantis just got permission from the Florida Supreme Court to probe human traffickers. He's now allowed to conduct a statewide investigation on any entities that may be assisting with human trafficking. That includes local governments. Entities Jason Perry has a story. But just the sheer number of people, you know, when they're being dumped into different communities, you know, that impacts education, health care, criminal justice, public, all these different things. The Florida Supreme Court approved Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's request for a statewide grand jury to investigate transnational crime organizations that allegedly smuggle people, especially children, across the southern border. I spoke with Jessica Vaughn, who is the Director of Policy Studies at the Center for Immigration Studies. She explained that the statewide investigation will also cover non-government organizations. And sometimes these are smuggling organizations posing as charities. Um, these may be groups that have good intentions, but in fact are enticing illegal settlement into the state of Florida uh, in direct contravention of laws. 
She also said that the statewide investigation won't stop there, but the local governments could be investigated as well, such as Miami-Dade County or Broward County, which have both issued ID cards for illegal immigrants. Miami-Dade and certain other counties within Florida are looking at becoming sanctuaries again. And so it's important for this grand jury to take a look at what their policies are and determine if they are violating either federal law or state law, and at the very least uh, expose to the public what these policies are so that people can be clear about why Florida may be such an attraction for illegal migration. She went on to say that the state by itself cannot stop illegal immigration, but they can send a signal to criminal organizations that enforcing the law is going to be taken seriously. And if they're going to bring illegal border crossers, they shouldn't bring them to Florida. Jason Perry, NTD News. House GOP members are challenging the legality of certain large State Department grants. The department says the grants are for international organizations that are, quote, committed to the practice and spread of atheism and humanism. It concerns grants of as much as $500,000 each. The money goes towards atheists, humanists, non-practicing and non-affiliated individuals. And the recipients are based in South Central Asia, the Middle East and North Africa. The GOP members' challenge is penned in a June 30th letter to President Biden and Secretary of State Antony Blinken. The letter says it is one thing for the department to be tolerant and respectful of a wide range of belief systems and to encourage governments to respect the religious freedom interests of their citizens. It is quite another for the United States government to work actively to empower atheists, humanists, non-practicing and non-affiliated in public decision making. It says the same program would be considered unconstitutional in the U.S. The letter signers also want to know how the program advances the foreign policy interests of the United States. And a former editor at USA Today is speaking out against the politicization of today's news industry. In an interview with the Epoch Times, he said the leaders of Gannett and USA Today need to return to older values. Here are the details. There's, there's a screenshot. Of David Mastio worked as an opinion editor at USA Today until March. He recently revealed that the media outlet demoted him in August last year for tweeting that only women could get pregnant. He tells the Epoch Times what he thinks has gone wrong with USA Today's journalism practices. I think what's going wrong with reporting at USA Today is that we don't talk to sources that we disagree with or quote people that the reporter disagrees with. And I think it's really important in, in news stories to, to have both sides and to have people that you talk to who challenge your, your views. Mastio explains that USA Today and its parent company, Gannett, became increasingly liberal because the company hired young reporters to replace more experienced and expensive journalists. And these reporters, fresh out of college, come from an overwhelmingly liberal environment. They went one small step at a time, um, and they found themselves with a staff that was too overwhelmingly political, too, too liberal, and they didn't have the spine to demand that, they, that these young reporters adapt to USA Today's values. So they changed USA Today to make it more like their, their report. The former editor says he thinks journalism and big companies like Gannett are going off the rails. People who, who think that, that journalism 
is about the facts and being honest with our readers. We need to stand up for the values that made journalism important and influential and is are increasingly being abandoned by our uh, by our industry. The top leaders of, of Gannett and USA Today need to take control of their newsrooms and return to the older the older values or they're going to pay a price. Mastio has now joined a new online video news outlet called straightarrownews.com. He says he only chose to speak out now because he had a family to support when he was still at USA Today. The United States continues to see newspapers die at a rate of two per week. That's according to a new report on the state of local news. The report says the country had over 6,000 newspapers at the end of May, down from almost 9,000 in 2005. And news deserts are growing. The report estimated that roughly 70 million Americans live in a county with either no local news organization or only one. Northwestern University's Medill School of Journalism, Media and Integrated Marketing Communications said areas of the country that find themselves without a reliable source of local news tend to be poorer, older, and less educated than those covered well. While the pandemic didn't quite cause the reckoning that some in the industry feared, 360 newspapers have shut down since the end of 2019. All but 24 of them were weekly papers serving small communities. Northwestern says an estimated 75,000 journalists worked in newspapers in 2006, and now that's down to 31,000. Annual newspaper revenue slipped from $50 billion to $21 billion in the same period. Coming up, consumers can expect a more expensive 4th of July holiday this year. Some are wondering how to cut costs and still enjoy Independence Day. We're heading into the 4th of July weekend, but prices for cookout items such as hamburgers and hot dogs have climbed 17% compared to a year ago. This leaves many Americans with tough decisions about how they will celebrate the holiday. Here's more. Inflation is the party favor no one wants at their 4th of July celebration. But it's here, and summer cookouts have become more expensive. Prices for cookout items such as hamburgers, hot dogs, baked beans, and lemonade climbed 17% compared to a year ago, according to the American Farm Bureau Federation. The grocery bill for two people has gone up, I'll probably say about two to $300 for the month. And that has some Americans feeling less than festive. I'm I'm not afraid to spend money, but it's gotten to the point where it is kind of ridiculous. And also the lack of availability for some things is um, higher as well. Global food prices began rising in 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic and worsened after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Ground beef soared to an all-time high earlier this year, and beer prices have jumped 25 percent since 2021. The price of chicken wings has also climbed 38% since February year over year. Like most Americans, Ankia Novakova says she's brainstorming on ways to cut household costs. My grocery bill used to be about like 250, 300, and now it's skyrocketed to over $400. Um, part of that's on me though, and I include going out to eat also as part of my grocery bill. Still, she's planning a road trip over the holiday weekend despite high gasoline prices, which on average sit at $4.86 per gallon. 
And then there are fireworks, but they aren't the only thing exploding this 4th of week, July weekend. Fireworks prices are also blowing up. The shortage we've seen over the past two years appears to be winding down, but supply chain issues remain. Costs for shipping, raw materials and labor have also helped push prices up. Higher demand has also been a factor. Consumers have turned to at-home fireworks displays the last two years because public displays were cancelled. The CEO of one fireworks distributor estimates his costs have at least doubled since 2019. The American Pyrotechnics Association says costs are 35% higher industry-wide. The upside? This year, retailers and distributors say they are more ready to match demand. And some other news. The U.S. Justice Department has launched a probe of the New York Police Department's sex crimes investigators. That's after complaints about the way they treat crime victims. Mayor Eric Adams says he welcomes the investigation. There's no higher level of priority for us uh, to ensure that victims of sexual assault receive the right treatment, investigation, and resolution. And we're looking forward uh, to partner with the Department of Investigation to fully cooperate with it. The civil rights investigation will examine whether the NYPD's Special Victims Division engages in a pattern of gender-biased policing. The division has faced a decade of complaints about thin staffing and superficial investigation. In, 2019, in a 2019 lawsuit, a woman alleged that detectives shrugged off her report of being raped. The division allegedly logged her case as a dispute instead of a sex crime. Another woman said that her account of being kidnapped and gang raped was grossly mishandled for months. Later, she was allegedly told the case was too complex to investigate. The NYPD said it welcomed the review and is committed to improving its investigations. Delta airline pilots marched outside New York International Airport on Thursday. It's part of a nationwide protest against drawn-out contract negotiations. The off-duty pilots carried signs reading industry-leading contract now and pilot contract delayed. The pilots are represented by the Airline Pilots Association International, or ALPA. They last signed a new employment contract in 2016. ALPA says they are currently flying under work rules and pay rates negotiated over six years ago. The union is seeking improvements in pay, retirement and job protections, as well as changes to pilot schedules. The CDC is investigating an outbreak of listeria inf infections that has already claimed one life. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reports that 23 people have been infected across 10 states. One death was reported in Illinois and 22 people have been hospitalized. More than half of the listeria infections originated in Florida residents. Most other cases were among people who visited Florida in the month before being infected. Five women were infected during pregnancy and one lost her baby. Pregnant women, newborns, older adults and people with weakened immune systems are at the highest risk. Infections are normally linked to a food source, but public health officials haven't identified any source yet. And guests aboard Disney's newest cruise ship need more than the force to get their hands on a new Star Wars-themed cocktail. They need a lot of cold, hard cash. 
This is an artist's rendering of the new Star Wars Hyperspace Lounge aboard the Disney Wish. According to several reports, the lounge features the most expensive drink in the galaxy. That's a cocktail ca called Kyber Crystal, and it costs $5,000. It reportedly comes in a case that automatically opens to reveal the glowing cocktail with smoke flowing out. The company has not shared what's in the drink that makes it so expensive, but according to Star Wars folklore, a kyber crystal is a very rare and ancient gem that's attuned to the Force and the kyber crystal's, po crystal's power lightsabers. Unfortunately, for what you pay, lightsabers are not included. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Coming right up, the EU again refuses to grant visa-free status to Kosovo, the last country in the region that's not part of the Schengen Agreement. So citizens still can't enjoy visa-free travel in Europe. And a new shopping center on the outskirts of Moscow remains quiet after opening. That's as many companies have withdrawn from Russia following the invasion of Ukraine. That and more coming up on NTD News. Ukrainian authorities say Russian missiles struck an apartment block and holiday camps near Odessa on Friday. Moscow denies the attack. Here are the details. Combing the rubble for survivors of what Ukrainian authorities said was a deadly Russian missile strike on an apartment block on Friday near the Black Sea port of Odessa. Hours after Russian troops were driven off the strategic nearby outcrop of Snake Island in a victory for Ukraine that could be a step towards reopening Odessa's port though military analysts say Russia could still threaten cargo ships at sea. Russia seized the desolate island on the war's first day and used it to control the northeastern Black Sea and blockade Odessa and other ports. In his nightly video address, President Volodymyr Zelensky said retaking it would, quote, limit the actions of the occupiers. Most of those killed in the apartment block strike, which used long-range missiles, were fast asleep. They also hit two holiday camps nearby, killing at least three people, including a child, a regional administration official said. The Kremlin denied striking the apartment block. Russia has escalated deadly attacks deep in Ukraine in recent days, far from the front lines. In Kyiv, lawmakers, with Zelensky at the helm, marked a minute's silence for those killed in Odessa. They gave a standing ovation as the flag of the European Union was carried through the chamber to stand alongside Ukraine's own. Ukraine was granted formal EU candidate status last week. Ursula von der Leyen, head of the European Commission, offered a message of support by video link on Friday. There's a long road ahead, but Europe will be at your side every step of the way for as long as it takes from these dark days of war until the moment you cross the door that leads into our European Union. Russia has focused its main ground campaign on the east, where it demands Kyiv cede full control of two provinces to pro-Russian separatist proxies. 
Last week, the European Council decided again not to grant a visa-free status to Kosovo. It's the last country in the region that's not part of the Schengen Agreement. NDT's Andrew Thomas has the details. Kosovo citizens still can enjoy visa-free travel in Europe. So now, there is a sign in front of Shepetim Pevkeli's restaurant in the capital, Pristina, that reads, Protest, no entry for EU citizens without visa. The idea came when we understood that the visa liberalization will not happen. With my staff, we were talking about someone who wants to go to his aunt or his brother, and when we learned that there would be no visa-free system again, we were desperate, humiliated, and that's where the idea came from. Pristina resident Adriatic Vishhaj praised the decision. It is a very good initiative, and I think Mama's restaurant did well. I think we all should react the same way, because we are all struggling with visas. Faik Abriki has been waiting for two days to apply for a Schengen visa. He said he has an official Austrian invitation to a sporting event, but still has to wait. I came here yesterday, and I am still waiting today for a sport visa with an official Austrian invitation. Now there is no application appointment, and we are waiting. I don't know what to say. Wait in this embassy. Wait in the other embassy. I don't know what to say. The six Western Balkan countries are at different stages of the EU membership process. Kosovo is in the early stages. It is clear that the EU countries are lost in their foreign policy. We could see that also with their various reactions towards the war in Ukraine. The same happened also with the Western Balkans. The countries fulfilled the Brussels requirement for visa liberalization, but didn't receive anything in return. Kosovo was left behind for the last four years, even though all the requirements were met. Kosovo's visa status was not discussed during the recent EU Leaders' Summit in Brussels. There, the 27 nations reached unanimous approval to grant Ukraine candidate status. It is clear that Brussels is not opening. It is on a foreign policy crisis, and the dream that the Balkans one day will be a part of the EU today, especially after Brexit, is viewed with skepticism. And we can say that the faith has been lost. In 2018, Kosovo fulfilled the visa liberalization benchmarks. The European Commission and the European Parliament have called for a visa-free regime for Kosovo, but EU member countries have yet to agree. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Western fashion brands are conspicuously absent at a new shopping center on the outskirts of Moscow, but customers say they hardly miss them. International fashion brands from Adidas to Zara have paused operations in Russia. Nike is one of the handful to commit to a definitive exit from the market. I didn't buy foreign brands often, so I lived in Istanbul before, and I think they have goods of better quality there, and not that expensive. There are few signs in the Russian capital that the mood needs lifting. Buskers sing and play, restaurant terraces spill onto the pavement, and residents cooled off in a fountain near the Kremlin. I am neutral on this, whether we have them or not. I don't have any favorite brands, so I can happily do without them. Managers at the Kovrino Mall said not everyone had opened by the official opening. The mall's director of retail leasing said some companies had logistics and delivery problems. When logistic and supply chain issues have appeared, tenants were going to open their stores and had to make a decision. 
Many of them then took a moment to decide if they would be able to do it. But nobody has left. We have reached agreements with everyone. Their stores are now open. Some opened with a delay, not on March 31st, the day of technical opening. The mall's owner also said the technical opening was March 31st, and we were expecting that international and Russian chains would open on that date. Unfortunately, at that moment, some companies did not support us. For instance, M-Video, which has faced logistic problems. Another company behind me is McDonald's, which was not opened too, for a well-known reason. Some companies have shied away from publicity, fearing sanctions. Retail companies were noticeably quiet at Russia's flagship International Economic Forum in St. Petersburg this month. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And coming up on the 25th anniversary of the handover of Hong Kong back to China, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson said the UK will not give up on Hong Kongers' freedom. Prime Minister Boris Johnson says Britain will do all it can to support democratic rights in Hong Kong. That involves holding Beijing to its commitments made 25 years ago when Hong Kong was handed back to China. 25 years ago, we made a promise to the territory and its people, and we intend to keep it. Doing all we can to hold China to its commitments so that Hong Kong is once again run by the people of Hong Kong for the people of Hong Kong. In a video released by his office, Johnson said China failed to comply with its commitment to respect one country, two systems. That's the arrangement made under the deal that ended British colonial rule in 1997. Britain has been especially critical of a national security law imposed in 2020 and electoral changes that have eroded the freedoms and autonomy of Hong Kong. In light of the national security law, Britain introduced an immigration route for certain passport holders from Hong Kong to come to Britain. Johnson says there have been 120,000 applications under the plan. And the man credited with transforming Hong Kong from a political-free global hub to one that is tightly grasped by the Communist Party is paying a visit. Chinese Communist leader Xi Jinping is in Hong Kong celebrating the day that started it all. And today's Chen Wu has a story. Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping arrived in Hong Kong Thursday, one day ahead of the 25th anniversary of the city's handover from Britain to China. This is his first trip outside mainland China since the pandemic began more than two years ago. Since Britain returned the territory to Chinese rule in 1997, Hong Kong has been a special region that is governed separately from the rest of China. But the Chinese Communist Party eroded that distinction. In the past two decades, Beijing reshaped Hong Kong, cracking down on protests, silencing dissent, integrating party loyalty into the education system and revamping election laws to remove opposition. The changes have driven many residents away. Population decline in Hong Kong is at its highest in decades. The city lost nearly 90,000 residents in 2020. This year, more than 100,000 people left in February and March during the city's worst COVID-19 wave. Beijing maintains that China's ruling has restored stability to Hong Kong following mass pro-democracy protests in 2019. 
But for many in the U.S. and other democratic nations, the communist regime has undermined the freedoms that made it an international finance hub. In apparent reference to the earlier protests, Xi Jinping said on his arrival that Hong Kong has overcome many challenges over the years, saying the city's been reborn from the ashes with vigorous vitality. While tens of thousands of protesters marched during Xi's visit five years ago, no protests are expected this year. Chenny Wu, NTD News. The head of the Chinese Communist Party says the country will stick to the zero COVID policy. This follows an earlier report from an official who gave the policy a five-year time reference. Here are the details. China is holding firm to its zero COVID-19 policy. Chinese Communist Party head Xi Jinping said Tuesday that China will stick with the strategy even if it means a temporary economic setback. He made the comment during a visit to Wuhan the original epicenter of the first COVID-19 outbreak in 2020. Some of the first documented cases of the infection were found at a wet market in the city. Xi Jinping also called the idea of coexisting with the virus through vaccinations and herd immunity disastrous for China. China's zero COVID-19 policy aims to cut off the spread of the virus completely. Through confining people to their homes, mass virus testing for residents, closing schools and shops, and suspending public transportation. The day before Xi Jinping's speech, news about the policy triggered alarm bells in Beijing. It all started with an announcement on Monday that the zero COVID-19 policy could last five more years. State media outlet Beijing Daily first published it, citing an official. Though the newspaper later removed the five-year time reference, the outlet's president responded to questions later, blaming the incident on a staff mistake but some have taken issue with the explanation. That's because another state media called Beijing Satellite TV also reported that the policy could last five years. A related hashtag was viewed nearly a million times on Chinese social media before it was removed. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, Italian farmers are facing problems created by a major drought. Seawater is flowing into the country's longest river and threatening crop damage. And Japan prepares to welcome back tourists. As of June 10th, the country began allowing foreigners to visit, but in limited numbers and only on group tours. Learn more in just a minute on NTD News. Authorities say a landslide damaged at least 150 homes in the Peruvian district of Chavín de Huantar on Thursday afternoon. Footage shows how a landslide in Cruz de Chayapa Hill covered nearby houses with a cloud of dust and dirt. No deaths have been reported and there were no serious injuries. But according to the regional health directorate, some people were affected by the dust. The agency said they are currently looking for people who may have gone missing after the incident. The worst drought in 70 years means salt water from the Adriatic Sea is flowing back into the Po, that's Italy's longest river. It's doing further damage to crops hit by an early summer heat wave. As Italy experiences its worst drought in decades, dried out crops aren't the only threat to farmers. 
Salt water from the Adriatic Sea is now flowing back into the Po, the country's longest river. The flow of seawater into the Po makes irrigation almost impossible, as it risks burning the already parched crops. Giancarlo Montavani is the director of Reclaiming the Po, who are fighting to protect the river. If there is no rain in the next 10 or 15 days, the crops that are not yet lost will be gone. At this stage, we are progressively losing the harvest. The longer the situation lasts, the worse the problem gets, and the more sown areas fail to produce. The Po runs for more than 403 miles from west to east, across the north of the country, a region which accounts for around a third of the country's agricultural output. The river is suffering the effects of a lack of winter snow, compounded by a baking early summer. Large areas of sandbanks lay exposed on stretches of the river as the water levels drop and its flow slows, making it easier for seawater to encroach. These fields in Portatole, near the Po Delta, once contained an abundance of soy plants. Now they are dried up and damaged. Federica Vidali works here as an agricultural entrepreneur. She says the lack of rain is starting to concern her. I am trying to be optimistic, but at the moment when it doesn't rain and you see the whole year of work lost, you become afraid, you are sad and you try to be positive. As part of efforts for some respite from the crisis, tractors have been set up to pump water from River Po into canals in Isola Pescorali, a small town in the province of Cremona, which can then water the crops. But in recent weeks, the water levels dropped so drastically that the water lifting system was blocked. And it's not just the Po which is suffering. Italy's northern lakes are already below or close to record lows and the level of natural reservoirs in the center of the country are also plunging. Georgian bakers have preserved the taste of a traditional bread and the unique method of making it. The process even involves acrobatics. Let's take a look. Dotted around the Georgian capital of Tbilisi, small neighborhood bakeries are a special delight for tourists and townspeople alike. They are still making a traditional popular bread called the Kaheti Shoti. One of the main things I like in Tbilisi is that if you take a piece of this bread, when it's warm like this, all you need is a bit of cheese or butter. You don't need anything more. To bake the bread, the baker first shapes the dough into a shoti, an extended canoe shape. They are then stuck in a special cylindrical oven for baking. The process requires great agility. The baker not only gets into the oven, but also hangs upside down to reach the lowest baking position. The final product is a long, soft loaf. It weighs about 10 ounces and has a simple taste with a hint of saltiness. It's crispy. It's freshly baked and it's crispy. That's why it's so nice. It's very good. Nothing better than Georgian bread. The bread is produced in batches of about 45. A baker can produce more than 300 loaves per day. Each batch takes about 25 minutes to bake. Until a decade ago, wood was used to heat the ovens. But electricity has offered a more convenient and eco-friendly alternative. Japan is gearing up for a return of tourists. The country began relaxing its pandemic border controls er earlier this month, and today's Andrew Thomas reports. 
Japan's easing border restrictions are great news for Yasuke Otomo. He's the owner of Daikichi, a kimono rental shop in the Asakusa district of Tokyo. He says he can barely contain his excitement. Those were a hard three years, but we managed to endure until today. And after such an experience, to think people from abroad can finally come back is simply thrilling. After the pandemic struck, the streets were deserted. Some kimono rental stores folded. Restaurants were shuttered. I'm thinking that maybe, just as before COVID-19, my shop, the city of Asakusa, and everyone's hearts can flourish again. I can't wait. As of June 10th, Japan is allowing foreign tourists to visit, but in limited numbers and only on group tours, not as individual travelers. Tourists are finally back with a gradual relaxing of the city's pandemic restrictions, but they must have a special coordinator, stay on specific routes, and wear masks. When we heard that Japan might open the country in June, we immediately booked the fly tickets because we really wanted to go. Then we watched the news and found out that we could visit the country, but with some requirements to follow. So we went ahead and prepared for our trip. Visas are required for nearly everyone, and they're only available to travelers from 98 so-called blue countries that are deemed to pose a minimal health risk. Tourists can enter without a quarantine if they show proof they tested negative for COVID-19 within 72 hours of their departures. It didn't take long for me to decide to go. I am so excited that finally I can leave the country to travel. I have been working, saving and traveling only in Thailand, visiting almost every place in the country already. So when my friends asked me to join this trip to Japan, I immediately said yes. Worries about the pandemic remain. If there's another wave, restrictions could be brought back. So the authorities are taking it slow. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up, three new fairground rides and pedestrian plazas are being built at the New York's legendary Coney Island. They're expected to open to the public by the middle of summer. Get the details in just a minute. New York's legendary Coney Island has entertained generations of Americans. Now it's getting a revamp. Three new fairground rides are being built at the beachfront attraction. Work is underway to build three new rides and pedestrian plazas on five acres along the boardwalk. Coney Island being this great, uh, rich place uh, with so much legacy and emotions and memories for all, not just New Yorkers, but Americans. You know, it's really an iconic place. We really started you know, the, re the rebirth of uh, Coney Island with Luna Park in 2010. Tony's Express Roller Coaster and Letty's Treasure Log Flume are two of the new rides and will pay homage to Coney Island's iconic 19th century attractions the switchback railway and the chutes. It's also paying homage to our history as a family. Uh, the names of both rides are actually after my grandparents. Tony's uh, short for Antonio, my grandfather, and Letty uh, short for Letizia, my grandmother. The new roller coaster will bend and curve around the log flume at more than 40 miles per hour on over 1,000 feet of track. The log flume will have 12 boats seating up to six guests, lifting riders up to 40 feet in the air providing a panoramic view of Coney Island's shoreline before plunging down at over 35 miles per hour for a big splash. We've been blessed to be in the amusement park industry and overall entertainment for more than five generations. Uh, so for us to be here, 
uh, and to be really associated with the revitalization and, uh, and really kind of rebirth of Konyana is extremely exciting and a great honor. The hope is that the new rides and plazas will be open to the public by the middle of the summer. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Next, a young child steals the show. Brazilian journalist Felipe Keeling had his radio live report interrupted by his son. The UK correspondent was live from London at the time, reporting for radio band News FM. That's when his son Lucas woke up from a nap. Hearing the toddler's noise, the anchors asked Keeling to pick him up to finish the report. Keeling juggled his live report with Lucas grabbing his headset, and the video of that spread through social media. To him, the mishap generated an opportunity to talk about working parents' and dads' roles in raising children. On that day, he had to take Lucas to work as his wife was attending an important meeting and he couldn't leave the child at daycare. Bananas are probably one of the most popular fruits at the grocery store. So are they a nutrient-packed snack or a glorified candy? Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. You don't have to be an expert in bananas to know that they are super sweet. But can all that sweetness exist in a superfood? There's no doubt bananas can be controversial. They are very high in sugar but remain a low glycemic load food. The biggest danger from these may come from slipping on a peel. Bananas are rich in nutrition and a great source of something nearly everybody could use more of, fibre. They're also versatile, accessible, convenient and affordable. The biggest claim to fame of the banana is the potassium content. One medium-sized banana has 375 milligrams, which is about 11% of the daily recommended intake for men and 16% for women. Potassium plays a vital role in heart health, most prominently by helping to regulate blood pressure. Bananas are also a rich source of other nutrients, phytochemicals and antioxidants. There are about 5 grams of fiber in a banana which can contribute to benefits like a better digestion, lower inflammation and improved heart health. The fiber makeup of a banana can be somewhat unique too. Unripe or slightly unripe bananas contain resistant starch, which acts as a prebiotic fiber. These types of fiber act to feed probiotics, that's the gut's good microbes, which are important for digestion and linked to immunity, brain health and more. As a banana ripens, the resistant starch is broken down into natural sugars, which is why it is sweeter than a slightly unripe banana. If you are thinking about including more bananas in your diet, remember this. It's not the same when used in an ice cream topping, put in banana bread or eaten as chips. Be careful about banana chips, they are generally dried and fried. If you want bananas to retain their healthy qualities, there are plenty of other uses for them. They can be added to smoothies as a thickener and sweetener, sliced and put onto whole wheat toast and peanut butter, or simply unpeeled and eaten for a quick snack. Now we know. And in the animal kingdom, the first moments of life for a baby giraffe were captured on video by Chile's Metropolitan Park Zoo. According to keepers, the proud mom gave birth to a calf on June 19th. It came in at over 200 pounds and clocked in at six and a half feet tall. 
Shortly after birth, the baby tried unsuccessfully to take its first steps, but weeks on, it is striding confidently on all fours. According to the Natural Resources Defense Council, giraffes are under threat. The council reports there are only 68,000 giraffes left in the wild, largely because of habitat loss. When fully grown, the new calf could reach a height of over 16 feet and weigh as much as two tons. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to put our email address on screen again. Would love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. Have a great weekend. I'm Evelyn Lee.